guys. What's going on? What's going on? Entertain the geeky. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm okay. Doing all right. It's it's weird acting like we haven't been talking for the last seven minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, all right, we're having a conversation. All right, let's count right, in. Stop Bloop. having a conversation. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to Yeah, now we're going to act like this is new and fresh because yeah. it is to the uh, viewer or listener. It is. It's, it is quite. Yeah. Totally bizarre. It's a weird thing that we do. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you guys give a shit? So... <laughs> Um, a, a few weeks back, I think on the mics, you were like, you need to watch The Last of Us. You need to watch this. I did. Yeah, and I uh, I did. we did. Um, a friend of Tara's recommended it to her. And she was like, are you interested in watching this? And I'm like, I actually need to watch it because it's kind of entertaining, geeky homework. Right. So so we did. Okay. Wowie. Yeah. Wowie. It was fun. It was, yeah. a, it was a fun show. Um, so I'll, I'll let you give a little bit of Last of Us background because you were... Uh, you played it. You yeah, love it. Yeah, I've played it to death probably at this point. <laughs> way too, way too many times. Um, that's one of the things actually I've recently noticed because PlayStation has started putting your total logged hours yeah. next to your game title, and it's uh, it's pretty scary how often I go back to games that I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, I have played the game. I picked up the remake when they did The Last of Us Part One for PlayStation Five. Um, that was really cool. That kind of made the two games consistent between each other as far as like character models and, you know, the look and the feel of the game combat. They they changed the combat, original combat of one to kind of make it more in line with what two's combat had evolved into by that point. Um, but they're great games. I mean, it's it's one of those games that's it's you know, you play a part of it, but it's a narrative, a, a very heavy driven narrative game um, that. Uh, it's emotional, man. I mean, you get invested in who these people are. The actors behind the scenes that are doing, you know, vocal work and motion capture for their characters, they're actors. I mean, right. Andy Serkis kind of opened the door for that long ago when he played Gollum. Oh, um, my God, did he, though? <laughs> yeah, I think he did. He right? did. I think he was the first guy we looked at that walked around on the set in a goofy onesie with little dots on him. Uh, it was the first time we really kind of took that seriously because he took it seriously. This was not, he wasn't, he wasn't Jar Jar Binks. He wasn't voicing a character. He was giving yeah. the performance of this character. Right. And it was going to come through in the CGI that was put over him. It was overlaid over his own face in the scenes. I mean, he wandered around crawling on his hands and knees to be at the same, you know, level eye line wise that Gollum would be. Uh, he, he took it very seriously. And what? I think we saw in that performance a real we saw the actor we didn't see the cg we saw the actor yeah i i think it all in all i think it added to the viewing experience of you know lord of the rings not yeah. that this is about them but no it's uh, not. talking about actors being able to bring something to life like that yeah. and the last of us uh yeah i mean when well, in video games had always kind of been not taken seriously as an right. art form for a long time. And because for a long time they weren't able to achieve the same cinema quality, cinematic yeah. quality of, of a film or a television show, but they, it can now and they do pretty much every game. That's a narrative driven experience really tries Brilliant to give you a story and, yeah. Yeah, and, and put actors in motion capture and, and in the studio to record dialogue. Um, 
And these people behind the scenes, Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker, they're great. They are great actors. And I love that they put them in the show because it gives a chance, it gives you a chance to see, no, these are good actors. Like they're known very well to people in our circle because they, Troy Baker, they they pop up in other games, Right. right? These are people who've lent their voices to other characters that I've fallen in love with. Um, so I've always said, I've always said, man, these, that that's what makes the game so impactful is the actors really sell the narrative to you. They make it believable. Even though you're looking at a CG, uh, image, they make it believable. You see their performance coming through and who the characters are. And so again, I think it was cool that they did that, but I think they translated that very well into a television show. I think they, they captured those moments from the video game because essentially watching the television show i mean it's not completely this but sure watching the television show is just sitting down and watching the cutscenes of the video game right we're, we're, we're getting the the big narrative beats of the story along the way right not a lot of the because i mean a lot of the time in between is spent fighting off clickers or rifling through drawers for resources right. and crafting shivs and ammo and stuff like it's nonsense it's video game stuff right yeah <laughs> While I love that, it's not fun to watch. Sure, yeah. I mean, if you if you if you did a you know nine episode series, hour long episodes, if somebody just going through drawers, people would be like, "Well, you fucking lost me twelve minutes into yeah. the first episode." Yeah, it's uh, it's not fun to watch, and, that, and that's coming from someone whose you know spouse likes to sit down and watch uh, me play video games, and that's those are the times when she's on her phone, you right? Know? <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> And then she'll put her phone down when a big cutscene comes, and she's yeah, well, the the stuff. important stuff. Right? She's like, "Ooh, how was the story so is, progressing?" So she experienced the story in kind of the same way the show tells you the story. I, on the other hand, experienced the story in you know earning all of those moments, getting getting the tools, and fighting the enemies, and earning those moments. Which is why when I got to the end of the show, it left me feeling, and it's not a bad show. I'm not. I, I really have nothing bad to say about it, other than. It kind of made me, it made those moments that hit me so hard in the video game emotionally not land as well because the actors are beautiful. They're, they're doing a right. great job with the characters. There's no doubt about that. But because the story is so well known to me and so kind of burned into my brain, the big moments when you're in the game, when you're watching the show, watching Joel run through the hospital and murder everybody, that's a great scene. Oh, I mean, so that good. is so yeah. That is where you see the monster that Joel had to become to survive in this world. And it's, it's hard. It's disheartening, right? Because when you meet Joel in the beginning of the story, he's a good man. He's working hard. He's just trying to support his daughter. His wife's obviously not in the picture or his, her mother is not in the picture, whatever that might be, whatever relationship that was. Um, But he had to become a monster. And that's where we finally see that monster. The difference is in the video game. I'm that monster. Right. I'm the Joel running through the hospital, murdering every firefly in sight. Um, so it makes the ultimate expression of that moment when he kills the doctor and he frees Ellie not feel as earned from someone with my perspective. Sure. What's it? I have never, ever, ever. And I think it's actually brilliant. I've never heard somebody say earned a cutscene. Yeah. You, you earn it, right? You, well, you work do. hard. You get to that moment because. You can die over and over and over again, and you'll never get to that moment. It's that moment when you overcome that, you earned that moment. Well, it was just, it's a brilliant way to position it because it changes the way that you kind of view the game too. Right. Sometimes if, I, if I'm if i playing through something and it's I feel like, oh, fuck, it's kind of grindy right now, I'm not 
I don't get to that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm just like, fuck, I got to get through this. Yeah. And it's, it's like I said, it's a grind. It's not, there's no goal there other than getting to the next yeah, point. Yeah, the reward in a narrative-driven game is that next piece of the story. That's the reward that they give you for the work that you put in. That's fair. Right? I mean, I'm going through the Resident Evil 4 remake right now, and that's that's the work you put in, right? That's You, you earn those big moments, right? That's why most of that game, its cutscenes happen at the beginning and the end of a chapter. Right. So you're you're you have to go through that chapter to earn that. You work hard, man. Those some of those things are not easy to do, and and it, and it's double in The Last of Us. I mean, clickers are not easy to deal with. Um, you can't just run in guns blazing when you're fighting a horde of clickers, uh, because they will overwhelm you very quickly, and they're very resilient to gunshots. Right. Right. The best way to take out clickers is to be quiet and sneak up on them and just stab them in the brain and be done with it. And that's how the game handles those moments. And I think that came across in the first scene. We see clickers. Right? Oh, my God. Did it ever, though? If we make if we make a sound, we're screwed. Yeah. And then they're and going to overwhelm us. Well, and the, these these characters that are basically established as uh badasses and stuff. Sure. Um, Tess and, and Joel, yeah, yeah they're yeah. good at this. When when you're yeah. watching them go at these clickers and they're shooting them and it's like, oh, that sucks, but they're still coming after you. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. that came across. It translated very well that they are not uh your run of the mill, you know, bullshit NPC kind of thing. Right. And if one clicker hears you they all hear you. Yeah, with their hive mind. They're connected. Yeah. yeah. They all know where you are. If one spots you, they found you. They're all, and they're all going to come rushing in very quickly. So, okay, that, I mean, so that, that was a cool moment in the series then where you get to see how just badass the clickers actually are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was definitely highs that were very high, right? I mean, meeting the bloater is a very high high. Right. That's a moment when you're not really necessarily expecting to see that thing. We know those things exist, but we're not really expecting when we're going to see it. Um, and the horde that comes out of that cavern seems like the threat. Right. That is the threat. There's no more threat than that until you see the bloater coming over the or coming out of the opening. Yeah. The, uh. With his giant. I mean, the guy that played that, he said he was like, that thing weighed like 80 pounds to wear. He wore pretty much the whole top half of the costume. Such a good idea, though, to do practical effects here. Yeah. Clickers oh looked God. really good. They, they, they managed to make incredible. them look not only terrifying, but accurate to how they've been portrayed in the other medium. Yeah. Um, I thought that I, so with, with Joel in particular, like seeing his daughter taken away from him. Yeah. And he, you, you, you know, he feels responsible for it. Sure. And like, that's one of those things that was absolutely instrumental into portraying the character properly. Yeah. But they did you it have to see that so prologue. very well. And you see that prologue in the game. I mean, one of the things that was talked about at the time when the game came out was that was one of the best intros to a video game you could ask for. Right. It has everything. It has the fear. It has the tension. It has the tragedy. It has the horror of this moment. Planes falling out of the sky. People crashing into gas stations, explosions. It's terrifying to think about this kind of outbreak, this kind of zombie outbreak. I mean. Right. Well, then with with him it it gives you this it, he uh he tells you know you you hear the story later on about uh oh they missed yeah 
with with the scar. And it's just like his character was so fleshed that's, out. That's not in the game, though. Sure, right. That is something they added. Um, and I actually kind of thought that was a really good idea. Great add-on. Right? It kind of adds a depth to Joel's character that really helps inform why he's so resistant to getting close to Ellie to begin with. When of Ellie course. clearly wants to get closer to him. Right? Yeah, I mean. She sees him as a father figure. His his everything was taken away from him at one point in time. And it was yeah. so much as everything that he was willing to remove himself from the world. I mean, because the world's of, already gone to right, shit. Exactly. In that situation, how many of other how many of us would have made that same calculus? I, I, I said to my mom not that long ago, I'm like, if something happened to all my kids, I'd check out. Yeah, I'd be done. Like yeah. there'd be no point in being in this world, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, so yeah, so we, that's relatable as a character. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's I think what you know, Joel, Pedro Pascal is kind of all our daddies right now. Right? <laughs> he he's, fucking totally. He's our, is. he's our TV dad right now. He's the dad in all our favorite shows. <laughs> oh my god, is he? Well, he's. Uh, I I saw. I, I mean, saw. He's this generation's Danny Tanner. He's our TV dad. Did you see the? Did you see the meme? It's. It's this <laughs> strong man carrying two uh, two giant like tires or something. Yeah, and one says Star Wars and one says Last. Yeah, Wars. and it's his face on it, Pedro Pascal's face on it. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant, man. Because yeah. he is that guy right now, he and is. it's so funny. He's our he's our TV dad. But then uh, the folks at Saturday Night Live, man, with their Super Mario Kart thing that they did with I'm him be in with it. You, I don't watch modern SNL anymore. It's so. I don't either. I will occasionally watch um, Weekend Update because I think Michael Che is very funny. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of Colin Jost, but I think Michael Che is a very funny guy. I watch his stand-up. But yeah, I'm not a modern SNL guy, so I didn't see any of that. I heard about that. I'm not either, but it, it was immediately all over the internet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw a little clip of him in the cart. Because they, they talk about him, oh, you got to escort somebody, and it's just like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, of course. And yeah. it's it, so well done, but that's, I mean, that's his character. And everything, and he's fucking it's, awesome. It's not in everything. My first experience with Pascal, and, I, and this is probably not the first thing he did here in America, sure. but it was definitely the first thing I was like, whoa, this guy's really good, was watching Narcos on Netflix. Oh, I, you know, I never watched Narcos, and I know wow. everybody says it's wow. incredible. Yeah. I know, I know. It's a very good show about, uh, what's his name, the drug kingpin guy from Columbia. Oh, yeah. Uh, Real guy. Fuck, yeah, no, that fellow. Yeah, yeah, that guy. I don't know. I don't follow. I don't follow drug kingpins. So what? we don't follow the cartel. Yeah, I don't follow the cartel. He doesn't wear a suit. So but you know that guy. Somebody in the somebody in the comments, tell if, us who that guy is. If he wore spandex, we would give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> somebody in the comments, tell us who that guy is. That's, you guys know who that guy is. I'd be like, he's a fucking supervillain. He is. I mean, he was a real life supervillain. Right, but I'm saying if he wore spandex, he'd be a real. Supervillain. <laughs> then we'd know who he was. He fucking cut. He, dude, he sold himself short. But he was, but no, Pedro Pascal's in that show. He's a DEA agent, right? Hunting this dude down and trying to build a case against this dude, and he's badass. Like <laughs> he's he acts opposite. Um, oh, I can't think of his name. He was in Logan. He played uh, the guy hunting him down. The, he was also in the Predator movie. He put on the, or he fought the Predator. Uh, I sorry, I went to uh, Deadpool and Ajax when you said Logan. <laughs> <laughs> no, Logan, Logan, oh, the one God. where he's old. Yes, yes, yes. There's like a guy with a robot hand hunting him down. Boyd yeah. Holbrook. Boyd okay, Holbrook. Okay, 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 okay. So he and Boyd Holbrook, he Pedro Pascal plays like the native guy yeah. who works for an, the agency here in this country, and Boyd Holbrook plays the American cowboy guy that's coming in, you know, with the CIA Guns or blazing, whatever, the FBI yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's the American <laughs> cowboy guy. Uh, 
And Boyd Holbrook has a southern accent, so he just does his accent. He just speaks normally. Right. He did it in Logan, too. That's I think that's actually his accent. Why well, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I not. think if you have that guy in something, to not have him have a southern yeah, draw know, is criminal. Just, yeah, exactly. You're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Not him. Exactly. You. Yeah. Um, but so, Pedro Pascal, yeah, he's fantastic. But the thing, so going into it, I know Pedro Pascal is, is fantastic. Yeah. The thing that really got me was how fantastic Bella Ramsey is as Ellie. Oh, she's wonderful. She absolutely nails who the character should be. Ellie is loves deeply. Ellie is serious when like very serious when it's time to be serious. Ellie is goofy. She's a goofy human being. I mean, she's still a kid, you know? But that carries into the second game. Right. She's still a goofy human being. That's her personality. She's goofy. When they walk into the hotel, they took that right from the game when she walks up to the counter and rings the bell and yeah. says, two, checking in. We'll take your finest suite, please. Because she's just goofy. She's a goofy little kid, you know? And and she's a goofy adult later. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're in that world, though, like, if that's where you were, you would have to find you have a sense of humor, humor or you're gonna, something, yeah, man, or you go crazy. Yeah, it'd yeah. be awful. So props um, to her. But I will say one of the things I, I do want to talk about, because it is something that was really, I think, well done to me and, and a welcome change, is the only real point where they deviated from the story heavily, and that was telling us the uh, telling us a story about Bill and Frank. Okay. Um, because Bill is a character you meet in the game. You you hang out with him for a while. He joins you in some fights while you're in his town trying to get a car to drive Ellie to fireflies um but by the time you get there there is no frank uh and bill kind of ominously talks about how you better cut this kid loose because having a partner man it's gonna screw you someone that you love someone that you have to watch out for someone that you care about it's not gonna help you in this world because it's the apocalypse right? right like and bill is a survivalist bill is a realist about this this world that he lives in um yeah, he knows that solo is the only way you're not going to be disappointed yeah. when you have a broken heart. And then we get to a home uh, that they take shelter in, and there's a hanged man in there, uh, and it's Frank. And he left Bill a note. Um, it's never outright stated that Bill and Frank were lovers, but it's heavily implied. Um because Bill is the kind of guy who doesn't want to talk about it, right? And they portrayed him, you know, Nick Offerman portrayed him that way in the show, right? right. He, he, he is the guy who doesn't like feelings. They make him uncomfortable, you know? <laughs> and Frank was the guy who did. And that led to a friction between them, the one who does versus the one who doesn't. Right. And... When we have people over. So, yes. So, Bill clearly has a moment when they find Frank hanged because he had been bitten and he t decided to hang himself as opposed to turn. Um, so, you can see that Bill is affected by this, but he, he, he goes back into his macho persona and he tries to shrug it off. And you find a note from Frank that's very heartfelt and... But also insults Bill because, again, they were arguing, they were fighting, they're not the same person, and therefore right. they couldn't make their relationship work. Um, so I think reworking that story um, was good, was an interesting way to tell us who Bill was in the apocalypse. And Bill, I think when you look at Bill, when we meet him, 
he's definitely what we would consider in our world to be one of those doomsday preppers. Oh, one hundred percent. The guy, the guy that's got just too many guns. The guy that's got a bunker under his basement. Right. You know what I mean? Like this is the doomsday prepper guy. This is the guy that's the most prepared for this. He's yeah. ready. He's been ready for twenty years. As as soon as soon as the uh, the government oversight leaves his little area he immediately goes and restores power oh, and yeah. is that it, brilliant oh yeah he's he's ron swanson in the apocalypse well no so that's something i was when we were watching the show i just thought that was the funniest thing i'm like man we're just we're watching what swanson would do we're, we're watching nick offerman that's really <laughs> yeah. what this is at this point yeah, exactly because he, he brings a lot of his you know, oh, his identity, yeah. his his to dry, his characters, yeah. yeah, yeah. He brings a lot of his identity to his characters, and I love him for that. I, I think he's a great actor. Um, but acting opposite him, Murray Bartlett, also a fantastic actor, very good actor, who really comes into Bill's life. And what I think what Frank sees the way they tell us that story, I think what Frank sees is someone who needs love, and what Bill sees is someone who is going to get himself hurt. Will who he'll have to protect, yeah. right? Um, but that doesn't stop them from going for it. And I think telling us that story instead of just implying it was a lot more impactful. I was a little disappointed that Bill and or Frank don't meet Ellie, sure, because Ellie and Bill had some really good interactions in the video game. Because Bill just thinks she's a dumb kid, and Ellie is not silent when she's angry. <laughs> So is openly insulting Bill and just being kind of generally a dick to Bill. Right. But Bill's being a dick to her, so it kind of just all balances out. It's this nice butting of heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it provided some really good humor in the game. Um, but no, that episode was powerful, man. That episode was emotional. It made me emotional. Um, and little the little things that were great, like when they were fighting and... <laughs> And he's, Frank says to Bill, you think the government are all Nazis? And Bill's response in real time, because this is the apocalypse, is the government are all Nazis. Right. <laughs> because that's what happened. Fedra are just Nazis. Right. Right? Like, that's what happened. And Frank's response to that is, well, yeah, now, but not then. <laughs> uh, to Bill getting a little angry that... Uh, Frank traded away one of his guns for seeds. That was amazing. But then eats the yeah, strawberry and laughs fed. like a little kid, mm -hmm. right? Because think about, and one of the things that that was, that the reason that was so impactful is think about what you would take, what you take for granted. Right. And what you would miss if you couldn't access it at any time. Right. Fruit, right? Fruit would be one of those things. If you hadn't had a strawberry in a decade, and you had a strawberry again for the first time, it would blow your mind. Well, not just one. You have a whole fucking, yeah. a whole ass plant full of them. You Those know? little moments that were just two people just trying to have a life in a terrible world. Right. That was beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. And, and there was a lot of hate, right? Because, you know, there's insane people who just are so bothered by the idea that all relationships don't have to be heterosexual. Uh, but I would argue that, that if what you were watching there was a man and a woman, if it was Bill and Francine, would you have felt the same way? No, you wouldn't have. So why can't these people have love? I, that part, would I, you, because you wouldn't have felt the same way. If it was Bill and Francine, nobody would have complained. 
Sure. Nobody, except maybe video game purists right. who know that Bill is gay, you know? Right. Yeah, I that I mean, that, I could I could take it or leave it. Um, I liked the Bill story. and It's a beautiful story of love was, in, a, in a terrible world. One, it was, his characters, the character, both the characters there are brilliant. They are. Um, Played by actors who are very good at what they do. Right, right. Yeah. What, but it was a... Uh, Those characters existing was paramount in taking the story to where it needed to go because that's how they got their vehicle. Sure. Um, and it, it took a trip that would have taken way longer and shortened it and all this stuff. And sure. uh, I thought, it, I don't know, I just enjoyed it. And that's how yeah. Ollie got her gun. She wanted yeah, it yeah. so bad. Yeah. <laughs> she nabbed that shit. Because it's the apocalypse. You should have a gun. Right. Right. I don't care if you're 10. You should have a gun. It's the apocalypse. Right. We're teaching you how to use a gun the moment you're able to hold one. What, you're four now? Right. Time for your firearm. Can you hold a gun and stand your ground as it kicks? Then you're old enough to have a gun in the apocalypse. <laughs> Look, I don't believe that in the real world. A What's 10-year-old should be using a gun. But if it's the apocalypse and you didn't give me a gun, I'm going to be mad. Uh, well, I mean, I think the cool thing there, though, was uh, Joel's attempt to preserve her innocence. Or... or She's lived in this world her whole life. She's never known any other world. Right, but she also, she was within she was the confines in a of the city. Zone. Yes. Yeah, I get it. So she was in a safe place. She didn't see a clicker or whatever for the first time, to the best of our knowledge, until she encountered one at the mall, right? Yeah, it was the mall was the first time she'd seen a clicker. Okay. Yeah. So they're all made aware. I mean, they're children. Of, of course, of they're, course. They're you don't go out here because world. you'll get eaten. Right. And you'll get turned into a monster. They huh? have, you know, pictures scientific pictures of the stages of infection right, right? so everybody knows what a clicker looks like but right. to encounter one is not the same exactly right? exactly it's i've seen pictures of a bear but i've not had one charge yeah, I've me never i've never Very encountered different. a bear in the wild exactly yeah. so like yeah i think it was it was all about letting her stay a kid and like he, he did a he did a good job with that and that was like whether he liked it or not, the whole time he was becoming a father, and it was in those little things like that. Yeah. Because when she has to come up and save him uh, for the first time, he's you know he's getting his ass kicked by somebody that he didn't hear. So guy gets a jump on him, and she has to come up and save the day. He's like, you know, you shouldn't have to do this. You're a kid. Like you're a baby. And the game did that scene better. Did they? Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and throw that out there. The game did that scene much better. But I just I I like same scenario. I liked uh, that he had this whole fatherly thing about him. Yeah, you know? Joel's Joel's got a guy over him choking him, and he can't get to his gun. It's out of his reach, and all of a sudden a bullet comes out of nowhere, and it's Ellie right next to the guy, shot him in the head, dead. She killed him, and Joel catches his breath, you know, and, and he takes the gun away, and she says sarcastically, "You're welcome," mm -hmm. and he just says, "We got to keep moving." And she says, see, Joel, how about thanks for saving my life, Ellie? How about it was him or me, Ellie? Do you not want to have this? Do you not want us to be friends and rely on each other? Like, she basically just throws it all out in his face. Like, stop being a dick to me. We have to do this together. This is a terrible world. And a short while later, Joel just stops commenting on it. Joel just stops. How he shuts down right in that moment because he is starting to have feelings for this little right. kid as a father. And he doesn't want that to happen, right? Because he knows that that kind of love 
is just going to get him hurt. Him. Yeah. <laughs> she has to remain cargo. Yeah. Uh, and there's a moment a short while later where there's a bunch of guys gathered and Joel's about to go down and Ellie says, let me help. And he goes, if you shut up, you'll realize I am. And he hands her a rifle and he says, only fire if I have fired, right? Basically setting up the idea that if you go in guns blazing, Ellie's going to start taking shots. If you be sneaky, Ellie will just stand there. She won't do anything following his lead. Uh, and she she's excited by that. And oh, she, he's like, do you know how to? And she's like, yeah, I got this. Right. Yeah. She like knows how to use this rifle. And as you're about to leave, as the cutscene's about to end, he's about to jump down into the, the area with the dudes. He looks over and he says, and you're right. It was him or me. And that's it. That's all that had. That's that all is, that, that is pretty good to be said. And that that's all that good. will be said. Joel's not going to say thanks for murdering a guy. But Joel is going to acknowledge that it was him or me. Right. I appreciate what you did. You shouldn't have had to do it. Right. But I appreciate it. And the show leaned a little harder into the you shouldn't have had to do it side of things. Joel understands this world is terrible. And the, right. the most terrible thing in this world is not monsters. It's people. Right. <laughs> people in a lawless society lost their minds. Well, in the society that has law. Yeah. It's not good law. Oh, no, the society that has You're law in a is, dictatorship. is Nazis. Yeah. yeah. They're just Nazis. So... <laughs> So the game, the game did that idea of the of the scene better. Um, that's not to say it wasn't a good scene in the show, but Ellie, uh, I think what they portrayed Ellie as is a little more fragile than Ellie is okay. in the game. Ellie is doesn't want to have to kill people, but when she does, it doesn't break her up. The only time it really broke her up is when she murders David. And the only reason that breaks her up is because she really wanted that man to die. It wasn't about defending herself. It wasn't about saving others. She wanted that man to die because she saw something in him that needed to go. So that that's monster, why, yeah. That's why that murder is emotional for her. Every other murder that's happened throughout the games, she has no emotion about that. She's tough. She understands that it's them or us. Right. Because this is the world we live in now. And it's only, again, it's the only world she's ever known. Yeah, it's the fucking Wild West, yeah. She lived under Nazi regime, and now she's out here in the Wild West with yeah. cannibals and crazy people. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Highway warriors and shit. <laughs> it's all Mad Max out here now. <laughs> That's one of my favorite moments, and they, they did it perfectly. They recreated it exactly, the same lines and everything. Yeah. When they're, they're driving into Kansas City, and the guy comes out, oh, help me, oh, man, I'm dying. And Joel, Joel just turns to Ellie and says, buckle your seatbelt. Yep. And she goes, aren't we going to help him? And he goes, he ain't even hurt. And he just <laughs> hits the gas. That's, ex that's the, the exact line of dialogue from the video game. He ain't even hurt. <laughs> and hit the gas. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. So, yes, as far as recreating the moments of the game, chef's kiss. Lovely. Beautiful. Just lovely. They did a beautiful job. I've not played through the game, but I would after watching the series. Yeah. I've and, had a lot of people tell me that recently. Oh, really? Oh, shit, I'm going to play the game now. Well, so um, <laughs> It's about to be on PC. It is on PC. Uh, so it finally you, come out? Yeah, so you can actually order, if you buy a GPU right now yeah. uh, through a certain company, they will give you a free copy of it. Okay. Part one, I guess that's the first game, right? Yeah, yeah, part yeah. one. Okay, so yeah, you can get a free copy of part one. Yeah. And it, I mean, it looks beautiful. Yeah, and part two's been on PC for a while, I Good think. Good while, I think, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. you've been able to get it like on Steam or Epic or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you can find a digital download of that in a bajillion different places. You know, oh, sure, yeah. But uh, 
yeah, the, the whole the series as a whole, like it had this, it had a really interesting coming of age story happening because you are you're watching this with the kid and she's yep. making her way in a fucking shit world where, for all intents and purposes, I guess she is being raised by Nazis, but it's also uh, that's the only safe thing for a kid. Sure. At that point in time, unless yeah. you live in, you know, Joe's brother's utopian the Hit- the Hitler place. youth were a thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so safest place for her was in a Nazi concentration yeah. camp or not concentration camp, but, you know, Nazi run a uh, city. And it was kind of a concentration camp. A little bit. Everybody had work orders and papers. And yeah, I guess it was. I guess it was <laughs> kind of like pretty a, much a concentration camp, like a ghetto, not a concentration camp, like a ghetto. Yeah, yeah probably yeah. more like a ghetto. Yeah. Um, but they were just letting people go right like they were just throwing people out because there was just not enough food to go around well in the uh so they just started like even the pettiest of crimes was like a kick out of the, the yeah. zone offense or you're right? getting hung literally literally littering oh you get kicked out of the zone <laughs> yeah, you're here. out of the zone you better you better hope you there's no clickers around because you're gone we ain't protecting you no more because they start i mean look were they nazis to begin with yeah but ration and food shortages turned it into a very desperate situation. Sure. And that's how groups like the Fireflies and the WLF were born, right? Right. These resistance groups, they're like, you guys are Nazis, and we could do it better. And we're going to kill you all and show you. Well, I guess not show you. You'll be dead. We're going to kill you all, and, and we're going to do it better. show everybody else. We're going to show the people <laughs> <laughs> that we can do it better. And people like Joel don't respect the Fireflies because – Joel looks at any of those splinter groups as just another Fedra. Right. It's, it's just, just it's just the next You're Nazi, gonna face Nazi the regime. same problems yeah. that Fedra faced with food shortages and revolts and criminality. It's just another And then what regime. are you gonna do? How are you, you gonna handle how it? How are you gonna do that? Yeah, yeah. Right. You're not gonna become dictators? No, you will. Yeah. Let's be real <laughs> about what happens here. Yeah. The WLF in the second game is a good example of that. Isaac, their leader, he's he's a Nazi. I mean, he is. There's a, a group of people that live on an island near him and he just doesn't like them. He just wants them gone. Like they have a weird truce, but he does everything he can to like break that so that he can just kill them all. Cause he doesn't like them. He just want, I don't want him in his town. You get out of my town. I don't want you here anymore. You guys don't belong here. I mean, that's what it is, right? He's, he's, he's a Nazi. He's Napoleon. He's a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, not Nazis, a funny thing. We throw that one around very, very, we're, Kind of silly with how we throw it around. He's not national socialist, but he is a total dictator. Shit. I mean, yeah, I think I think uh, in a in a slang type of way, yeah, Nazi yeah. just refers to anybody who is down for fascism. T- tyrannical, yeah. Right. If you're down for fascism, you're a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying the Nazis invented fascism, but they were the first ones to almost conquer Europe with it. They were <laughs> they were the poster children for it. Almost conquer Europe. Napoleon had a good run. He had a good run. Napoleon had a good run. He was, he was, you could definitely I, argue that he was even, a fascist dictator. I'm not even one of those flag-waving kind of patriot people, but when you look at World War II, if America hadn't gotten involved, Hitler would have taken over Europe. Everybody was fucked. He would have taken over all yeah. of Europe. Yeah, everybody was fucked. He had Russia on his side. There was a pincer move. There was no way they would have won. Yeah, and he was in the, he was in a position to where he was. And the USSR was huge back then. Right, and he was making, <laughs> he was in the process of developing nuclear weapons. Like, we know that was a thing too. We stole some of his people's. Yeah, all his scientists came here and made yeah. nuclear weapons and rocket engines and all that kind of yeah, stuff and for then, us. And then we killed a bunch of other people with them. Like, <laughs> whole thing. It was weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. Imagine that. But yeah, we so I think never. overall, I think winding, you know, uh, to kind of a conclusion, I think it's a great representation of the narrative of the video game. 
Yeah, like obviously because it's not. How long is a cutscene in one of those games? Maybe two minutes. No, you have some that go, you know, eight to ten. You have some okay, that are longer. Shit, Metal Gear Solid Four had a cutscene that went for thirty-two minutes. Okay, that's fucking respectable because that's a TV show at yeah, that point. Like you went for thirty-two minutes of cutscene. But as far as like what you have to make an entire what nine-hour series out of or whatever it was, yeah. ten hours. Um, they probably didn't have 10 hours of cutscenes in the game, did they? No, 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 probably not. So you're filling in some blanks there and stuff like that. They did a great job. Uh, one of the scenes that they talked about at the end of the <coughs> series was uh, where Ellie's feeding the giraffe or whatever. Yeah. Um, they were like, we we had to take this straight straight out of the game. Yeah, it's six, 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 shot for shot. And it's fucking yeah, I mean, awesome. You it's, could, people on the internet have put those up side by side. It's like shot for shot. It's the well, game. It's so good. It's this moment of just complete awe and wonder, and it is so. It's cute. Ellie's never seen a giraffe in her life. No, and why would she see a she giraffe? Lived, didn't she lived her whole life in a quarantine zone? So right. She's never seen a giraffe before. What? I mean, think of it. We would not see them if we didn't. Export them from other countries. Yeah, I mean, if we didn't have and zoos, have a, a fucking free in St. Louis, we have a free ass zoo yeah, that we, we can go our see zoos, them. At. We wouldn't, we wouldn't right. see giraffes either. There's yeah. no way we'd never see them. No, no, they're not native to our country. No. <laughs> so, like, I can only imagine being a kid that's never experienced any anything. Never really. even been to a zoo, right? And you get to go, and there's a herd of a fucking herd of them grazing out of a building because it's half collapsed and shit. Yeah. So cool, man. Yeah, I think that was another thing they did really well is uh, the world felt very lived in. The it world did. felt very authentic to a post-apocalyptic society. I The vegetation that had overtaken buildings, the one building that was just like collapsed because no one was keeping up the infrastructure, so it was just collapsed onto the building next to it. Right. Like, uh, brilliant. I mean, all was shot beautifully. It all looked, all the backdrops looked really beautiful. All the sets were very apocalyptic. Well, it, yeah, it, it was, I thought everything was beautiful. Yeah. And then, it, like, again, you're in this dark, shitty world, and they have these just sparkling moments, and they brought those to life very, very well. Like, yeah, they did. I thought the whole thing was super exciting. Did you have, uh, did you have anything in particular that just kind of made the show for you, or? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, and it's such a silly thing and he's only in a few of the episodes, but the guy who played Tommy, Gabriel Luna, mm-hmm. is that his name? Gabriel I think, Luna? I think that's it. Yeah. Um, he sounds like Tommy from the video game. Like he did a spot on impersonation of video game Tommy. I mean, when he came on screen and started talking, I literally like covered my eyes and was like, why does he sound exactly like video game Tommy? <laughs> Like, it's uncanny how much he sounds like the video game character. And the video game character, the guy who portrayed him in the video game, is in the show. He plays the right-hand guy of the woman that runs the Kansas City crazy Yeah, the people. crazy lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, the, he's the military guy with the beard. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, the guy who played Tommy. I did not realize that. The yeah, one that yeah. gets uh, manhandled by the bloater or oh, whatever. Oh, he gets, like, torn apart yeah, by it. Yeah. yeah, he gets picked up and ripped in half by it. Yeah. <laughs> he had the best death in the whole series. He really did, didn't yeah, he? he gets ripped in half by the bloater. Uh, and then um, Troy Baker, who played uh, Joel in the video game and voiced Joel and, and motion captured Joel, he plays, uh, I can't remember his character's name. He's David's right-hand guy. Okay. The cult leader, yep, yep, yep. Know, religious zealot guy. He's the the right hand guy of him is Troy Baker. 
And Troy oh, Baker. that's cool. Yeah, Troy Baker didn't even know who he was going to play. He came on set assuming he was going to be dressed up like a clicker or something. They were like, no, like, you're you're this guy. I don't remember what this guy's name is. Uh, James, that was his name. Yeah, when she meets David, he says, this is my friend, James. Yeah. It's James. He plays James. And Troy Baker's response to that was like, James is like a major part of that arc. Like, you really want me to play a character that's that important? Yeah, important is the wrong word. James is there. Right. They do more with James in the show than they did in the game. In the game, James just a guy <laughs> who gets killed. <laughs> right, but I, I think when you're expecting to go somewhere and more or less be an extra, yeah, just for fanfare, mm-hmm. to uh, yeah, to get to get a role where it's like, oh, you're actually going to get some screen time. No, and, you got lines and screen time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be cool as shit. Yeah, and Espe- rarely does Troy Baker get to come out from behind a microphone. Right, <laughs> he's usually a voice actor. Guy. Right, it's like it's like Kevin Conroy. You know yeah. what I mean? He was always like this. Yeah, he rarely they rarely get to come out from behind the microphone and and play, play characters in you know live action things. Uh, and then Ashley Johnson, who played Ellie in the game, who will continue to play Ellie, I'm assuming, in the future. I'm sure. a third game coming. Um, plays Ellie's mother in yeah, the flashback. total badass, yeah, dude. Yeah, the woman who gives birth to Ellie. Um, which, look, is that cool that she got to do that? Absolutely. We don't see Ellie's mother in the video game. Right. And I think the only reason they did that is because they wanted us to understand Ellie's immunity. Sure. A little better, but like, I'd argue that's not really necessary. I, again, I'm glad Ashley Johnson got something to do, and I think it's a cool way to 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 tell the story in a television show. But Ellie's immunity, it, it should be this magical thing. It shouldn't have a rational shown to us explanation. It should be this magical thing of like, how are you immune? Sure, you're sure. just you were born into immunity. Like, we don't know. No, but uh, I thought the. Th- I think the thing that kind of really stands out about the series as a whole is it is it is uh, it's a love story like all of it. It's a series of yeah. love stories just kind of strung together and interwoven and all that. Mm-hmm. And they all translate very well. And like even the scene with her mother, um, we see a love story there because her mom is holding her baby yeah. with a knife to her own neck. Like, oh, I'm going to off myself if I start getting silly because I'm not going to hurt this baby. Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, she's like, hey, take my baby and just kill me. Yeah, and I, and I think those those moments are necessary for you know television, sure, uh, to kind of help the audience understand how all these things fit together. I will say I enjoyed, I enjoyed the scene, and I definitely enjoyed the other scenes that are not that are kind of just setup scenes, like the right. the opening of the first episode with the guys arguing about fungal right. uh, growth, and basically the one guy admitting like we would not be able to stop something like that from happening, mm-hmm. like that would destroy us. Yeah, and it does. Uh, and I'm going to go on record. The woman who played the mycologist that they brought in in the s- intro to the second or third episode mm-hmm. where they flash back to yeah, like yeah, the, the, Asian early, lady. the early days of the outbreak. Yeah. Um, that woman should win all the awards because bomb the city, because when you see her understanding of this go from consternation to understanding, to abject terror. She sells all of that without uttering a single word. She did. And it's brilliant because he says, she says, still with concern, but not fear, how many people are missing? When he says 15, you see her go from that to abstract terror in her face. Right. And he says, what should we do? 
And she says, bomb the city, bomb the whole city and everyone in it. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go be with my loved ones. Right. That woman, brilliant. And she's not even speaking English. She's speaking whatever language of the, the, the place they were in is, uh, it's, it's brilliant. She absolutely was brilliant. Now she, uh, she, she's on screen for three minutes. I was going to say her, her part is very short. She has no words. Other than confusion until they get her to where she's going. And that lasts about three to five minutes. Well, I mean, and that's where you got to you got to take your hat off to the director, too, because everybody sold it. It's not like you had one person carrying the whole thing. Everybody sold it. She, I will say she carried that scene. Of course, but she was supposed to. But again, she's only in that one moment. We right. never see her again. She's not important. It's just but a she, framing she device. Is, she's our focal point in that scene, though. Yeah, so she has just, to be the one to sell it. Uh, and yeah, every everybody brilliant. that was in that show, it, it like I guess that's a director's job to make sure everybody's selling it right. But fuck, man, they did a good job with yeah. it. Yeah, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want you to walk away from this thinking. Well, there's just praising it because I do have legitimate problems and I've talked about some of those and in, in how the moments don't feel as earned and, uh, you know, but I think overall, if you're a fan of post-apocalyptic narrative storytelling, mm-hmm. you should play The Last of Us. And if you don't want to play a video game, you should watch The Last of Us. <laughs> well, it's a... Uh... <clears throat> Years and years and years ago when Walking Dead was pretty fresh as a series. Yeah. Uh, I tried to watch it and I was like, man, fuck this. It's and not a bad show. It's just not the comic. I was so deathly afraid that that's what The Last of Us was going to be. It was just this new Walking Dead. Sure. And I was like, man, fuck. I didn't like that one. I'm not going to like this one. It, boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Yeah. Because it is not. Well, and I really hope that they get around to releasing that third game before the show catches, catches up. up to oh, that moment. God, I know. Um, I was actually kind of hoping that the ending when the series ended, that there would be some kind of impending announcement that, Hey, the third game is actually in development. So in addition to working on this television show, Neil has written the third game and it's going into development it, because I really need that to happen. I don't want to get in another Game of Thrones situation where the no. it's on the writers to tell the ending of the story because I don't want to. I want to see Neil tell the ending of the story. It's his story. Right. <laughs> Give him his fucking pen and let yeah. him finish it. Yeah, I want to see Neil. Neil do this. Uh, and and presumably the second season, the second game could actually be split into two seasons of television. Is it longer than the first? Uh, it's longer than the first for sure, but it's also narratively two separate stories. The story that Ellie gets into. And the story that Abby gets into. Abby is an entirely different character that crosses paths with Ellie at key intervals throughout the story. But it's about gaining perspective from a different side. And so you follow this this woman, Abby, who's a part of this group called the Washington Liberation Front. She's a former firefly. Um, So it's... Presumably, you could split that into two separate seasons of television. You could go into the second season and tell us Ellie's story and end, you know, uh, bookending it. At a crossover point. At the crossover between the two of them late in the game and then jump back like they did in the Mm -hmm. game and tell us the same three days of story from Abby's perspective. Interesting. Because they're both in the same place. They're both in Seattle. Yeah, what do you So we literally watched three days of Ellie's story and then we watched three days of Abby's story. At the end of those three days is where their stories intersect with each okay, other. Okay, okay. 
Yeah. So yeah, they would almost need to record that at the same time. Sure. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would think that I think that'd make the most sense. They don't interact as much as maybe I'm implying. It's it's only a key couple of moments throughout I'm, the story where their paths cross. I'm, I'm sure it is something along those lines. But when I say recorded all at once, I mean, because then, oh, if it's dark on, you know, day one or I, I don't know, it's they probably don't need to. I'm just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm thinking of this like it's fucking Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, no, you got to sit in a room together. You make all of it at once. For three years and record it all. Go. Yeah. Go. You guys got this. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> um, and there was some talk that, you know, Bella Ramsey might not come back and play Ellie because there's a time jump in the next game, but that has been shot down. Bella Ramsey's absolutely going to come back and continue playing Ellie. They'd be, it'd be a fuck up not to have her do it. Yeah, it was just great. It was just a great actress. Now, I, w- I will say, um, what was the name of the actress uh, that actually voiced her? Ashley Johnson. The two actually kind of look alike. <laughs> like that was. Well, that's funny because Ashley Johnson doesn't look like Ellie in the game. No, uh, Ellie actually looks more like Elliot Page. Yeah. Uh, than Ashley Johnson. <laughs> and that's what's that's what's so funny about it is I'm I like looking at him. I'm like, man, I typically if you see a, a mother daughter or a father son in a movie, you're like, dude. You're not fucking selling anybody. Yeah, yeah. Like I know without a shadow of a doubt, you didn't come out of those balls. <laughs> and I was like, man, that is one of the better looking uh, mother daughter pairs. I was, and I, I thought to myself, I was like, I wonder if they're actually related or something. Um, no, not. one of them's fucking straight up from England, and then the other one's not. <laughs> okay. You know, Bella Ramsey is yeah British, full blown British, a yeah. British person. Yeah, I heard her talking, and I was like. You people need to quit taking our jobs. Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, gosh. She, she did a beautiful job. <laughs> she did. She's very good. Uh, so, yeah, I, I couldn't fathom locking in a goddamn accent like these people do. They're incredible. Tom Holland does it, too. I know he does. Yeah, he's, he's a piece of shit. Full on. Andrew English. Garfield did yeah. it, too. Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, my God. Yeah, he is Doctor Strange, isn't he? Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't nail it all the time. No. It's actually kind of funny because there's uh, the occasional cadence where you can hear the British in the way he pronounces something. And I'm just like, yeah, you fucked up there, bud. They're I like, heard you're British there. They're like, will you take this aluminum foil? And he's like, aluminium. Aluminium. <laughs> yeah, I heard you're British there yeah. in that pronunciation of aluminum, bud. Don't you call it aluminium. Aluminium. <laughs> you're coming across as one of those Europeans. <laughs> uh, but yeah, ultimately, like I said, I think if you want to experience this narrative, it should be in video game form. But if you don't like playing video games, the show is a pretty good substitute. I, I'm just going to say, I experienced it in show form first. You should experience it that way. But I'm definitely going to be playing the game <laughs> after watching the series because it was lovely, wonderful, and all that. Yeah. Um, so we can put a button in it there. You yeah. guys need to go to entertainthegeeky.com. There you can find links to all of our social media and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Uh Really, that's just kind of a hub for us right now so that you can get to all of our other stuff. Um, do us a favor. If you're watching this on YouTube, click the subscribe button. We are uh, new to YouTube, if you will. Like, yes, we've been posting content on there for years, but it was literally just audio. the audio from the podcast, and we never made any attempt to grow it. So now we're like, okay, let's do this YouTube thing for realsies. Yeah. And it's it's fun. Um, Leave us a like because apparently that's a thing that – Helps us. Comment, I don't know. Comment. Just comment. Have a conversation. I'm gonna. With us. I'm gonna throw it. I'm gonna keep doing it because every time I think about the fact that I'm on camera and people might one day watch me, 
uh, I want to interact with the audience. So I'm going to keep doing that. Hey, you tell us. You tell us. <laughs> and and that, speaking of that, you tell us. What do you want to hear us drone on about endlessly? Because we, we, we do drone on endlessly. We can do it. We'll do it. Um, what do you want to hear? While you're on our website, entertainthegeeky.com, if you click the games tab, you can get a free copy of Merle's Truck Stop in Maine by doing promo code geeky. Right over right. there. Right, right here. Right, right there. Right, right, uh, so right, right, promo right, code right. geeky gets you, double, yeah. <laughs> gets, gets you a free copy of Merle's Truck Stop in Maine, the world-famous one-page role-playing game. Indeed. Um, it's a whole lot of fun. I actually, we need to do the playthrough of that. I wanted to do it weeks ago, but I'm an idiot and drop no, the ball. Yeah, we, we need to do that. <laughs> and uh, if you want to sign up for the book club, you have a little bit more time left. So you can go to uh, entertainthegeeky.com slash book club to find up, sign up for this V for Vendetta one, or we will be doing another one in the future. Um, it involves a live stream where we are going to talk about this book with you, dear listener. Indeed. So thanks for hanging out. As always, stay geeky. And we're clear. <laughs> no, oh my God. So with the Mandalorian. Bonus content. <laughs> now you have it. So with the Mandalorian. Yes, we're halfway through. A little more than halfway. Fuck, dude. I was jumping up and down like a little kid watching that last episode. Uh, not, not the one that just came out today or whatever. Yeah, I was just saying. Uh, so last week's episode with Jar Jar Binks. God damn it, Mr. Best. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm at best. Yeah, that was that was something that was shocking, man. When that uh, door opened and I saw him, my reaction was, really? What a redemption for this guy. He's there for three minutes, and you're like, I love you. Yeah, I mean, This is who you should have always been. Yeah, I think Jar Jar Binks has its place, man. We always, we always I think... I don't mind him. I mind him. Don't get me wrong. I mind him. <laughs> But I don't think he's for us. And we have to admit, right? We, I think a lot of us as Star Wars fans, we like to look back on the original trilogy and say, well, no, that was for grown-up sci-fi. Really? It had tiny <laughs> teddy bear people in it. And it was about magic space wizards. It had squeaking robots. Come on. It was about magic space wizards. It had little teddy bears in it. Beep, like, beep, boop, boop, boop. What are you talking about? Like, So I think we forget that these are still intended to be children's, like movies that children can enjoy. Right. And Jar Jar Binks is... The thing they put in there for children. He was the children. new fucking R2-D2 and C-3PO. Yeah, he's the, well, no, because R2-D2 and C-3PO are also in the movies. Right, so but you get what I'm saying. He's, he's that little bit of comic He's relief. the annoying sidekick yeah. that they didn't need, but they put in there to get laughs out of children. Sure. So sure. I think I've never hated on Jar Jar Binks. I, I tolerate Jar Jar Binks because I actually don't mind the prequels. They're not great by any stretch, but I honestly don't think... Any of the Star Wars trilogies are perfect. There are problems inherent in all of them. And I think we don't want to admit that about the, the originals, originals. Yeah. Because we love them so much. And there's that's our first experience with this. But I think it's unfair to hold everything that comes after up to the standard if, of that. If your first Star Wars experience was episode one, you would have fucking loved it all the same. Yeah, exactly. You would have shit your you pants. You would have defended the idea that your trilogy was better. Right. Right? One, it's so funny. Uh... I was talking to, I think I was talking to another buddy of mine or Tara about this recently, but I'm like, if I'm like, there are kids where that was their first Star Wars experience. Yeah. First one ever. This is my first Star Wars. And, uh, <laughs> and it's fucking it, like, 
You mean to tell me that you can't fall in love with that? You can't watch that Duel of the Fates scene with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Darth Maul and just be completely enamored? I would have been more enamored if they'd <laughs> stopped cutting away from it for other bullshit. But yes, it's a very good scene. <laughs> yes, they did, they, they did a lot cutting of cutting away from it for other bullshit. They but did a lot whatever. of cutting. That's so fucking cool. But yeah, the Mandalorian was so good to Jar Jar Binks. Mr. Best. Yeah, Mr. Best, I think, got his got his redemption. Uh, and well, that and guy suffered, man. That he, guy got a lot of hate mail. He, he didn't That's he didn't deserve it. He didn't need redemption. You know what I mean? As far as I'm concerned, he played a character that they paid him for. What I mean by redemption, I don't mean redemption in the eyes of the fans. I mean redemption for him. To get to play a character that's going to get a good reaction out of people, not a bad one. Oh, a killer reaction. Right? Because people Because Jar Jar Binks got a bad reaction out of people. Every people, except children... Gave Jar Jar Binks a bad reaction. And many of them that are bad people sent him hate mail and death threats. And like, you ruined my Star Wars. Like, it's not his fault, first of all. Even if you if you want to cast blame at someone. There's that Lucas fella. The actor portraying the character is not the one to blame. They are doing what the director asked of them. Right. Right. So I, I hate that. I hate the idea of even... Look, yes, George Lucas is the one to blame in that regard, but I hate the idea of even sending George Lucas a hateful letter. What are you doing? Well, uh, do you so, think that's going to change anything? Who fucking cares? Right. Do you, do you really think that's going to change you anything? Did this, you did this in your leisure. It was not meant to be your life. I know. It's ridiculous. It is but uh, it's what I was saying, right? And I think The Mandalorian is a good example of, look, we don't have to hold every project up to the lens of... Is this like is the original? this the original trilogy? Yeah. Because the Mandalorian is a great show. It has been a great show since it began, right? Um, and it borrows a lot. I think the reason the Mandalorian is such a successful show is because Lone Wolf and Cub is a successful IP, right? Right. And and I'm not saying just Lone Wolf and Cub. So many stories have done the Lone Wolf and Cub. I mean, it's arguable that Last of Us is a Lone Wolf and Cub type of story. Clearly is right. So. That's the second time he's done that. Again, he's our he's our he's our TV dad right now. Uh, anyway, um, but I think expanding upon it and uh, Grogu's gonna be a Mandalorian. Now. I know they made him fucking armor. Well, they, not only did they make him a piece of armor, he he participated in a training exercise and made that little kid look like a fool. Like, oh my god, look like a fool, right? Like. <laughs> Perhaps the lesson is for you then. It was so goddamn Because good. the lesson is for him not to not to judge him by his size. Yoda taught us that way back when. Right. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? As where you should not. For my ally is the force, and a powerful ally it is. He's got the force. You don't got the force, little Vizsla kid. No. You got nothing except a fancy helmet. Well, it was cool getting to see the uh, the Order 66 scene go out. Yeah. Um, all that shit. Like, that whole episode was it, was, it was good fucking Star Wars, man. Yeah, I think Grogu's, Grogu's trying to come to terms with his past, which I think is an interesting take on Crazy. the trauma yeah. that he's experienced. Because he's still very much a child. He's a He's a... Yeah, three year old or something like that. He's not a baby. He's fifty he's years not old. Baby, right? Yeah, but, but they they age different. by the standards of his people. Yeah. he's a child. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, the trauma that he's gone through, coming to terms with that, and and it's it's evident in that scene where they put him in the training. Because my initial reaction to that was, really, why are you doing this? He's he can't even speak the creed yet. Like, right. I agreed with the little kid immediately when he said, "Why doesn't he wear a helmet?" 
And Din responds, well, he's too young to speak the creed. And the kid responds, well, he's too young to fight. Right. That's logic. That sounds logical to me. That's, that's a good logic, right? Right. Now. But, but being a good papa bear, he's putting his boy right. out there. But I, think, but I think we see him get shot. We see him get shot. And he doesn't appear to feel like showing these people who he is because showing people who he is, is what almost got him killed right. and has almost got him killed several times, right? Throughout the series that we've watched. Right. So I think he is strong and Luke obviously imparted him with lessons that he will never forget. Right. But it takes Din to say, it's okay. Show them what you can do because he, you know, Grogu clearly understands language, right? He knows what you're talking about not when you're dumb. talking to him. He's not yes. unintelligent. He's not a baby, right? He's a 50-year-old alien. <laughs> He's a 50-year-old baby. <laughs> he can't speak vocally yet, but he understands commands. And he understands the language that is being spoken to him. Well, it's like when, when you have a baby at home, they know what you're saying a lot of the time. Right. They can't always say it back. Right. But you can be like, dude, don't climb on the table. Yeah. And they know they're not supposed to be doing that, but they right. might look at you and smirk and be like, watch this bitch yeah. and do it anyway. Right. Sure. And he, yeah, he had that, that instant of defiance there where he's like, ah, ah. yeah. And then he just whips it out. Bah, bah, bah. Mm-hmm. I am the champion. Yeah. Of yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's funny, right? It's, it's an interesting concept and it, it leads me to believe like, especially seeing them make a piece of armor for him. Uh, it leads me to believe there's no way for this show to end without tragedy because right. he's, he's not ever going to not be a baby in Din's lifetime. Right. Before when Din leaves this world, Grogu will still be a child. Yep. Right. Luke tells him that a, 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 a small amount of time for you is a lifetime for another. There's no way this show ends without sadness and tragedy. Yeah. At the at the disparate and the and the going our separate ways of these two characters. I honestly thought going with Luke was Grogu's I, way. No, I thought that was it. I didn't think we were going to bring Grogu back. Mm-mm. Right? I thought Grogu was going to be the first student of Luke's new academy. Yeah. Uh because you can continue to tell a show. The show is the Mandalorian. Right. The show is not the Mandalorian and child. Right. So you could continue to tell a story about the Mandalorian they and could. the Mandalorians without Grogu. But man, when they put baby Yoda out there for us all to fall in love with. Yeah. But that could have spun off into its it, own it, thing. It, it totally could have had a whole show about Luke's Jedi Academy. It would have been that brilliant. Would have been great. It would have been brilliant. Great. I would have watched that. And you could market that one as a kid's show because they're kids. He's recruiting kids to train to be Jedi. <laughs> yeah, that would be a... God, that would be such a good idea to market that that's as a kid's show. That's what I was hoping that was going to be. When we saw that little tease of it in Boba Fett, I was yeah. like, oh, this is the show that could be. Also, when Ahsoka is standing next to Luke Skywalker and he says something and she says... So much like your father. I'm going to be honest, that creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> because, of course, Ahsoka would know both Anakin and Luke. Right. But it's still something I didn't think about until they showed it to me. Right. And it weirded me out. <laughs> Stop like, that. It just weirded me out, right? But that that notwithstanding, uh, The Mandalorian could have easily been a show without Grogu. It could have. Right. It could have. I think, I think Grogu was the right amount of cute for that show, though. I think it was, but that's the, that's your hook. That's your lead in. And as you move beyond and you understand what the responsibility of a Jedi is in this 
post-Empire world, yeah. it makes more sense to take him in that direction and leave him in that direction. I don't disagree with you at all. Just from a pure marketing standpoint and how do I, I want the show to go on as long as possible and so I can make all of the monies, I get what they're doing. <laughs> you keep the fucking cute thing there as long as you can. Because right. guess I, what everybody likes? Puppies. You know what they don't like? Taking care of a dog. Like... Yeah. Two very different things. Uh-huh. And we get the cute little puppy there with Grogu and we don't have the mess of a dog. Right. It's fantastic. But I want to see if if the path we're going to take Grogu down is he's going to become a Mandalorian. Yeah. I want to see him 100 years from now. Well, that's possible. As a Mandalorian. But maybe that's what but the show turns into. that's the show without Din. Din's not going to live for another hundred years. But it's like the passing of the torch with Captain America. There has to be a Captain America. I understand that, but I don't think we're ever going to get to that moment. Maybe. I don't I know. Think, I think we're going to set the path, but the yep. show's still going to continue being about the Mandalorian. With with the massive amount of downsizing that uh, Disney's currently doing. Yeah, I'd, I'd be scared that it won't well, I don't think it, I think it'll continue. It's it's one of the it's one of the reasons people bought Disney Plus to begin with. Oh, that it is was one of the debut shows that they was put on the Disney Plus. Only reason I bought Disney Plus. Yeah, it's one of the reasons people did. Yeah, and we were not disappointed. We ended no, the fir- we ended the first episode getting introduced to Grogu. I could I could legitimately pay for Disney Plus for the period of time where the Mandalorian is showing every year, and then cancel my subscription for the rest of the year. Sure, and be happy as a lark. But you're also missing out on things like Andor, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's absolutely. Did you watched Andor? Nope. Uh, you're missing out, bro. I've I've heard nothing but good about it's it. It's a Star Wars show for adults. I started a. I started Kenobi. I got like two or three episodes in. I didn't even finish that. Kenobi's one. another Lone Wolf and Cub story. Sure, it's fine. I, yeah, I whatever. Mean. It's fine. It does some cool things. I'll I'll say that. Seeing Obi Wan and 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 Darth Vader fight again was pretty cool. I won't I won't deny that. Uh, but. Seeing you and McGregor play Obi Wan again was just the thing sure. that I thought was most specialist. Yeah, but Andor is a Star Wars show for adults. It's the show about the rebellion being built within the Empire. Mm-hmm. It's disparate cells that are all being funded by the same. I mean, it's a, it's a spy thriller in the Star Wars show. It's a nice. Star Wars show that doesn't have any of that thing that makes the kid in you go, <laughs> "Look at that goofy thing." No, it's not a goofy thing. These are serious people that are fighting a serious conflict in secret <laughs> against an enemy that they can't possibly overcome. That's so awesome, though. It's a great show. I was talking to... Also, a- powerhouse performance from Andy Circus. Is it? Powerhouse. I need to watch it. It's only in one up, two episodes. I do need powerhouse. to watch it, Dad. Um, I had a coworker talking about Star Wars the other day, and he's like, it's shit now. And I was like... Yeah. I was like, yeah. their own. I, I could go without a lot of it, but man... There's certain stuff that they've done over the last decade that's just Rogue One fucking incredible. I've enjoyed all of the post-Star Wars content that Disney Plus has been putting out. I know people didn't like the Book of Boba Fett. I thought it was fine. It was cool. It wasn't yeah. great. Yeah, uh, wasn't bad. I, I don't think it was bad at all. Like, I don't think there were, like, are there parts of it that made me cringe? Yeah. But there's parts of all the Star Wars. Luke and Leia made out passionately. Right. And they're brother and sister. They like, weren't. They there's weren't, always yeah. parts that make they me feel awkward. They weren't brother and sister yet. They were. I know. Canonically, I know. they were. I know. I understand that. Yeah, Lucas just, didn't understand that. Yeah. But. It was like, watch this one. He changed it later without thinking of the context of he that was, moment. He was fucking drunk one night and he was like, hey, check this out. What if Luke and Leia 
Our brother and sister. And Didn't they make out passionately? Nobody remembers that. Forget about that. Nobody remembers that. <laughs> I'm, George, that. I'm George Lucas. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you are a genius. Okay, here we go. Yeah, that's the problem. Is George Lucas got more powerful. No one, people stopped telling him his ideas were bad. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> that's How is there nobody at the table? When we're reading through lines of dialogue that Anakin and Padme have, where Anakin is being super rapey. rapey. Yes. Why was there not at least one person at the table that was like, George, that's a bad idea. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> bad idea, George. It's like, just wait. Who wait. let him? Who, what, and, and, what, and if someone would have said that, what is George Lucas's response to that? No, they're in love. They're not. She's not in love with him. Is that what you say to your wife? <laughs> Oh, it was so uncomfortable. All those scenes were so uncomfortable. They were weird. Could you imagine being the actor there? This is the line. (laughs) I don't want to imagine being the actor there. Because if I was the actor there, I would say, this is coming across really rapey. And And then I wouldn't have a job anymore. You'd fire me and hire someone else. Man, I would deliver that line and be uncomfortable as all get out. And Uh, I would laugh all the way to the bank with my check. No, I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't do it. Look, I could do it. But I couldn't do it without saying something about it. So they were all on the same page about what we're doing here. <laughs> this is a rape scene with no sex. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's not good. Um, but I think, again, as George Lucas got more and more powerful, people just stopped telling him his oh, ideas they, they, weren't good. There is a 100% chance that nobody was like, hey, you're getting a little fucky here. No, like no one we got to a point where no one wanted to tell George Lucas he wasn't good at this. Because he obviously was. He made Star Wars. We're going to wait 25 years, and now we're going to make a new episode. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> and it's going to be it's about be full of space Wars. politics. Oh, my God. Oh, space politics. Senate subcommittee hearings on space politics. That's what I wanted to see in, in my Star Wars movie. In a giant room. Yep, with that's e. what I wanted to see. E.T.'s there. Don't worry. E.T.'s are there. They are. I know. I lost my shit when I saw that for the it's first time. Just, I was it, like, this is incredible. It's just so that that moment in E.T. where E.T. recognizes Yoda in a, a kid's Halloween costume of Yoda makes more sense. <laughs> That's the only reason they did that. Back. It's the only reason they did that. Don't worry. I got you, buddy. We put we put uh, into fans' heads the idea that E.T. recognized Yoda. <laughs> so we have to put E.T. in Star Wars to make it make sense. It's like, oh, hey, Yoda. Yeah. What are you doing here? He does. He recognizes Yoda. I thought I'd see you in the Senate. I haven't watched E.T. in forever. You know, the cool thing about having kids, and like you don't appreciate this when you're a kid because your parents are just making you watch dumb shit, but we actually had a lot of cool shit. Like when we were kids, sure. that we can show our kids now, and it's incredible. Incredible. Yeah, especially if you're watching George Lucas or Steven Spielberg movies who keep updating the special effects and every time special effects take another leap forward. Oh, my God. (laughs) You just can't let it die and rest. They have to keep updating it, making it look better and better and better. Heaven forbid you leave well enough alone. I mean, there are are literally moments in E.T., classic E.T., the movie, where E.T. is now a CG character. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of the puppet. Well, I mean, it's like when they made Jabba CG for the... uh, Star Wars remakes or whatever. Yeah, but at least Jabba had already been established as sure. a character at that point. It looked bad. Right? It, I was going to say, I'm not defending it. It didn't look good. But again, George Lucas is one of those guys that just keeps updating things as things get better. So if you look at special edition Jabba the Hutt mm-hmm. from A New Hope and Blu-ray release Jabba the Hutt from A New Hope, they're completely different models. The model from the Blu-ray release looks more in line with what Jabba looks like. 
I can't, I, where his head's not symmetrical because the problem with the CG in the in the special edition was his head was symmetrical, mm-hmm. like the little round, and and that's not how his head looks. The puppet Java's head doesn't look like that, so why would his younger self head look like that? So they fixed it, but again, he updates it. That that model that scene has been retouched four times since the special edition release. Well, the best thing I think ever was when he was like, "No, the originals were destroyed." What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, you destroyed the original Prince of Star Wars. Okay. Like he that was he one didn't of the... destroy anything. No. They're sitting in a vault in 20th Century Fox headquarters now owned by Disney. I'm sure they are, but I'm so surprised that we that Disney didn't say, "All right, this is ours now. Here's your Blu-ray of the original." Right. I think they will. I do think you? they're waiting for something big. They're waiting for an excuse to do something like that. Yeah, well, because the blue the most most recent Blu-ray releases of the original movies are the things that were added for the special edition are still there, but there are certain things that are not there anymore right. or that changes pe- people complained about changes yeah. that they've thought better on as they went along. Does, um, will this Han still shoot first? No, Greedo shoots first still. Yeah. That's fucking criminal. Oh well, yeah. But it's not the original release anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But they could, undo the <laughs> I mean they could they could definitely undo it uh I think George Lucas made a mistake in doing that but it doesn't change the fact that while Han is a scoundrel type character he's also like one of the most heroic dudes in the movie no doubt about it so is he really should he really be portrayed on screen in a movie that children are going to watch as a cold-blooded murderer Being as how he goes from that moment into becoming a hero by the end of that very film. He felt threatened. He felt threatened. (laughs) Tattooing is a stand your ground state. (laughs) Whatever, man. Whatever. It's a stand your ground planet. Yeah, planet up. We got stand your ground on this planet. Worst idea ever. Han knew that. So he was like, oh my God. So funny. All right, well, we're done. Yeah, yeah, but watch The Mandalorian. We'll 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 come back and we'll talk about the rest of it when it's all done. When we'll it's do over. A whole episode about it. Yeah, when it's done.